You're listening to At Any Rate, our global research podcast, where we take a look at the story behind some of the biggest trends, themes, and industries in markets today. I'm Phoebe White, lead inflation strategist at J.P. Morgan, and on the phone with me today, I have Dan Silver, who leads our inflation forecasting efforts on our U.S. economics team. Today, we'll be discussing the June CPI report released this morning, our outlook for U.S. inflation from here, and our thoughts on various inflation hedging strategies. So Dan, let's talk about the CPI report this morning. The headline figure rose 0.6%, driven by the rebound in energy prices and continued strength in food. But we also got a strong bounce in core CPI, which was up 0.24% on the month. That's the strongest print since January and one of the stronger readings of recent years. Uh, And it also follows three fairly significant monthly declines. Can you talk through what we learned and what drove that strength? Sure. So the increase in the headline, the six-tenths gain there, uh, was right in line with our forecast. But as you mentioned, uh, we did get that upside surprise on the core measure, uh, which was one of the firmest numbers we've seen in a while. And I think what we saw in today's report was a few categories that had looked very weak over the past few months, uh, namely airfares, lodging, and apparel prices. Uh, we did see some partial rebound in those prices in June. So we think that the spread of COVID-19 really depressed pricing in those areas. Uh, you know, There's kind of an obvious relationship between the virus and airfares and lodging as travel has been significantly restricted. And also apparel prices have been dropping pretty sharply. And all of those numbers saw some rebound in June. So prices in terms of levels are still down pretty significantly as to where they were from before the virus. Um, But we did see a move in a positive direction in June uh, following earlier declines. And some of that was anticipated. So we had anticipated some pickup in airfares and lodging. uh, But the apparel number was was a surprise for us. Um, And overall, things did look firmer than expected today. Right. And so I guess thinking about the June figure on net, core CPI did surprise to the upside, driven by these categories, but not all of the components were strong. Where did we see some weakness in the report? So one of the categories that jumped out in terms of weakness are the rent measures. And rent uh, has a high weight in the CPI and the core CPI. So they're pretty important. And also prices tend to be fairly steady there. And what we've seen in the rent measures, so both tenants rent and owners equivalent rent, is we've seen a downshift in the trend over the past few months. And the numbers for June, actually, the increases reported for June. So prices are still moving up for these categories, but the increases uh, were actually the softest that we've seen uh, going back about 10 years or so for these categories. So it does look like the virus is still putting down the pressure on pricing uh, in some categories. And we do think that overall, the virus is going to be a negative on net. So, you know, we're talking about a firm number in today's report uh, for the June CPI, uh, but overall, prices are still down pretty substantially over the past four months or so. Uh, given that we did see a big downshift and then, you know, only a partial rebound in some categories with other categories uh, potentially, you know, staying weak going forward if the labor market continues to stay weak. So you mentioned that the virus should be weighing on prices on net. Clearly, you know, overall, they seem to be somewhat disinflationary, but it could also be leading to supply chain disruptions and a trend toward deglobalization. So those things could help boost inflation. How do you incorporate those factors into your forecast? So I think the supply chain disruptions and the trend towards deglobalization are risks that we need to keep watching over time. Uh, but there were not major factors currently built into our forecast. And I think there's a, a few reasons for that. Uh, one is that so far, we expect these things to have fairly limited impact. So we've definitely seen firmness in food pricing over the past few months. Um, and that's probably related to you know supply chain disruptions. But when we think about across all the categories of the CPI, we do think that the virus is going to have you know downward pressure overall. So there could be some pockets of firmness here, uh, but unless we see kind of a major shift towards uh, deglobalization and really broad-based supply chain disruptions, uh, which I don't think we've seen evidence of so far, 
uh, you know, we're not expecting a big boost here coming from those factors. Um, we also want to keep in mind that these were also things that were, were potentially factors as we think back over the past few years before the virus spread. So we had a few years with trade tensions between the U.S. and China and also some other countries. And, you know, those were potentially disrupting supply chains, potentially making people feel like we are moving towards deglobalization. And there definitely were, you know, some areas where we did see prices pick up and potentially some, you know, months that looked firm. Uh, but overall, inflation remained pretty weak throughout those those years as well. So these things are a risk. We want to keep watching it, but we need to see how things play out. And right now, we're not building in uh, you know, a big boost from these factors in our inflation forecast. It's interesting because this topic comes up so often in conversation, especially as it pertains to more sort of medium-term risks for inflation. I just want to point out, as you talk about you know, any evidence of this, our research team did put out a note on paradigm shifts just recently that digs into this deep globalization question. And it points out that, you know, globalization did stall following the global financial crisis. Um, but really, we saw global trade leveling off over the last decade, not really reversing. Um, and I think the question that comes up now is, given the tensions facing the U.S.-China relationship, you know, with the trade tensions and, and the pandemic, whether we see an acceleration in supply chain relocations. But, you know, there really isn't much evidence of that. And in fact, they point out that based on a recent industry survey conducted last quarter, 83% of companies are not even considering relocating manufacturing or sourcing out of China. And that's particularly for those companies with long, complicated supply chains. And actually, in the short term, given the cash flow disruptions coming from the, the virus, they could choose to delay the timing of any relocations they would have otherwise done. So not a lot of evidence of that so far, any you know accelerating deglobalization, but it's certainly something to watch. So we've talked through a lot of moving pieces. How are you thinking about the overall outlook for core inflation this year and next? So even before the virus, uh, core inflation wasn't firming much. We had core CPI uh, generally running below 2.5% and core PCE inflation generally uh, below 2%, which is the Fed's target for that measure. And if we're right that the virus spread is going to be you know, negative on net for uh, core inflation, you know, we're going to see continued soft readings and probably a downshift. Uh, from the trend that we were getting, you know, prior to the virus. So we think we're probably past the weakest period of inflation. So we had three straight declines in core CPI uh, prior to the June report. And, you know, as we talked about, there were pretty big declines in some categories that look to be now behind us. Uh, so we think we're past the weakest period of inflation. But we think any firming going forward is, you know, probably not going to be sustained at a very firm rate. Um, and we think we're probably going to you know, stay below the figures that we were getting prior to the virus spread. So going into today's report, into the June CPI, uh, we'd expected core CPI to be you know, around a half percent this year and around 1% next year uh, for the years on the whole. You know, now it's looking firmer than expected through June, uh, as we did get the upside surprise in the June report. And some of that strength may carry forward. But I think still you know, a pretty soft inflation outlook here for both of the core measures going forward for this year and next you know, have to keep monitoring things with the virus here. So, you know, we think we're past the weakest period of inflation, but if we do enter a new period with lockdowns and a lot of uh, restrictions on travel and those types of things, you know, we could get uh, some renewed weakness as well. Let's talk about the Fed for a second. You mentioned core PC inflation has been stuck below 2%, and clearly this has been an issue for the Fed in recent years. How do you see this impacting their policy decisions? Even before the virus, I think the Fed really had been focused on this weak inflation and 
the Fed had been doing this framework review process, and we had been arguing that a shift towards average inflationing targets seemed pretty likely. And so this was, again, all before the virus, before we had this weakening in growth, and before we had this downshift in inflation. So they were already moving in this direction, and now they have kind of this new issue to deal with where things have gotten pretty bad in terms of you know the economic outlook and also the, the downshift in inflation. So it does seem like they're going to need to do more. So what we've been hearing from the Fed in recent weeks is that they're, they're probably going to move to a change in forward guidance here. Uh, so we think in September, we're probably going to see some outcome-based guidance where they're going to set their interest rate policy to specific economic outcomes, likely tied to inflation and seeing some inflation pick up. And if they don't go that far, um, they're probably going to put at least date-based guidance into effect where they're going to say, you know, up to a certain point in time, we're not going to raise rates or we're going to do X, Y, and Z you know, up until a certain point in time. So they're doing what they can. They're trying to stimulate the economy, trying to boost inflation. But when we think about what the Fed has done so far and what markets are expecting for the future, it's unclear that they're going to get much boost out of this. So they can, they can change to this outcome-based forward guidance or date-based forward guidance. Uh, but markets aren't really pricing in, you know, any increase for a while now in terms of interest rates. So, you know, they're probably going to get some benefit here in terms of growth and inflation, but but probably not a huge shift if they do make these changes that we anticipate. Um, and I think along those lines, the Fed really has been looking uh, to fiscal policy to help support the economy recently. So, I think the Fed is aware of the limits that they have with monetary policy, and you know, as they want to do more in terms of boosting growth and lifting inflation, uh, they're really looking to help from fiscal policymakers. Now, Phoebe, uh, you know that we in the Fed uh, don't think a shift towards firm core inflation is very likely in the foreseeable future, uh, but not all clients agree. Um, so can you talk about what you're seeing in inflation markets and what you're hearing from investors? Yeah, it's interesting um, because especially you know coming out of the March episode uh, of all the market disruption, we started hearing this conversation coming up a lot more often on the back of the aggressive response from the Fed and from fiscal policy that there was this concern that we would get very high levels of inflation again in the next few years. I think that narrative has started to die down a, a bit, even as break-evens have recovered. So potentially we're uh, moving towards some kind of equilibrium here. But in my mind, the Fed is facing this challenge, as you've mentioned. Um, Longer-run inflation expectations have drifted lower over recent years. They're less confident that tight labor markets will bring uh, accelerating inflation and their credibility is is somewhat diminished given sort of this failure to get back to target inflation or potentially reach an overshoot. So I think that limits where the long end of the curve can go from here. Five-year, five-year inflation swaps are currently trading right around 185. So it's near the middle of the range they've held over the last three months. Um, and cash space, five-year, five-year break-evens from the tips curve is even lower, sitting around 160. So I think this generally implies some persistence in a negative inflation premium where perhaps the, you know, the bigger risk is that the Fed does not have the tools to fight any kind of persistent undershoot inflation. So where we've seen the biggest repricing, though, I think, uh, especially since the June FOMC meeting, has been the front end of the curve. The five-year uh, break-even had narrowed basically to zero in mid-March, and now they're back to about 140 basis points on a seasonally adjusted basis. So that's near levels we observed last fall. And at this point, the 530s break-even curve is back at its flattest level since January. So I, I think you know there's more modest room for continued break-even widening from here. And so what does all this mean for real and nominal yields? 
Well, at the front end of the curve, with the Fed likely to move towards more enhanced forward guidance, as you mentioned, we think that five-year nominal yields should stay pretty well anchored, um, but we look for long-end nominal yields to rise modestly over the second half of the year, uh, and that's largely based on a projected increase in gross duration supply. Um, so combined with more modest widening break-evens over the second half, we think intermediate to long-end real yields will start to find a floor and move modestly higher in the coming quarters. How have tips historically performed in periods of rising inflation, and how have commodities compared? Yeah, we recently published a note taking a look at how well the performance of tips and other assets have been correlated to realized inflation, looking back uh, about 14 years or so, back to 2006. Um, and over that full period, oil does stand out as the best hedge. So it had an R-squared to headline CPI of about 72%, whereas break-evens and gold um, exhibited an R-squared closer to 30 to 40%. But that's not entirely surprising. You know, Energy prices are the most significant driver of volatility in headline CPI, so you know, not surprised to see that high correlation between oil and and headline CPI there. Um, But as we think about the current environment, our commodity strategists do think that most of the oil price gains are now behind us, um, just given considerations around global demand destruction and the uh, lingering inventory overhang. And then with respect to gold, they also point out that 10-year real yields tend to be the most significant driver of gold prices. So with limited room for further real yield declines from here, as I mentioned, we actually see little room for further price appreciation in gold as well. Meanwhile, you know, if our forecasts for the domestic recovery and rebound in inflation prove too pessimistic and we get an upside surprise, we think that intermediate break-evens would likely outperform. So I think that's a good place to close. Dan, thank you for joining me. Institutional clients of J.P. Morgan can find more on these topics on J.P. Morgan Markets at jpmm.com or reaching out directly with questions. Stay tuned for more episodes of At Any Rate, J.P. Morgan's global research podcast series. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read J.P. Morgan research reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2020, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co., all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on July 14th, 2020.